you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. We will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for Person of Interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, I don't have any, like, relevant questions to our episodes because these are both, like, bummer subject matter. But do you have any necessary questions, though? Ooh. Well done. Yes, have either of you received the order of Latin for your service? I have some director's oh. awards. I don't think those count. I have an extraordinarily tacky block of lucite that I got for my fives, eight, I don't know, for working for the same company for a bunch of years. I know, woof, right? Yeah. It wasn't even 10 years. It was like some weird ass anniversary too. And a really ugly hoodie. I, I'm very glad <laughs> that like my five years at my current job has not gone like remarked upon other than the fact that it's just like i'm a fixture there oh see i didn't mind my anniversary because in, in in addition to the ugly block of lucite i got a heaping hunk of stock options oh mm. i i do not get those not stock options sorry uh rsus to be more precise restricted stock units or whatever they're called anyway uh we don't have to talk about my stock options or whatever they're called yes let's not <laughs> That is not riveting radio. <laughs> See, it is like legitimately. I have I have a rule with family <laughs> members over over forty of if you mention your medical stuff or real estate, I'm tuning out. <laughs> and if I start snoring, that's on you. You can add stocks <laughs> to that soon. Oh yeah, definitely. I I have uh, taken the path on stocks of it's it's simple because I basically like can't own them because I'm in my particular position <laughs> occasionally comes up for the like you can't own oh yeah stocks that might be yeah. connected to anything in the universe that you might possibly touch makes sense which doesn't is doesn't actually make sense for my position but it's like. Yeah. I have been warned that this cyclically we get. This is talking too much. We we are again venturing into the too much discussion about the stock market. All right. Before Instead, Justin let's falls talk asleep. about Russians. Uh, yes. We're covering episodes five and six tonight of season three. These are Razgavor, which I apologize to any Russians because I'm probably butchering that. And and uh, Mors Prematura. Fuck you, Latin speaking people. You deserve it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've got Razgavor, and I don't apologize to the Russians. You recall that we're now allowed to dislike the Russians. They're putting them as the villains in video games again, so it's okay. It was written by David Slack and directed by Kenneth Fink. Uh, no lie, I love this episode. What a pair of last names. Right? It's a real, uh, yeah, I don't know what to think about it, but it's it sounds like something. Uh, yeah, I love this episode. It's a little bit silly. But I'm into it. 
uh, this week's number isn't our usual kind of number because it's not a social security number, but rather a green card number belonging to one Yenrika Zirova, who it turns out is a young Russian immigrant. Remember that this show was filmed in that time between the end of the Cold War and the invasion of Ukraine when Russians weren't the default villain and everything, so it was okay to like Russians. Uh, who is now living with her drug-addled distant cousin after the death of her grandfather. She also openly admits that she aspires to be an international spy. Shaw attempts to follow, follow her to school, but to everyone's amusement, she gets made, and Reese has to take over tailing her just in time to save her from an attempted kidnapping. Uh, she escapes right into the arms of Shaw uh, while Reese tussles with her kidnappers and they end up after a second escape from her the attempted uh, kidnappers in the bowels of her building in her listening outpost where it is revealed that her grandfather was a russian spy and taught her spycraft she's been tapping into all of the phone lines and listening into every conversation in the building in order to drive out the bratva that work in it eventually thanks to a tank of poisonous gas yarika is captured and shaw is shot she refuses to seek medical aid and instead goes after the girl while Reese tracks the case from another angle and ends up crossing paths with Carter's HR investigation. I'm really simplifying this. It gets very complicated in the back half of this episode. The Bratva is making deals with the Russians who want to get into the bath salt game with HR. Remember bath salts? Wow. I remember that. Somebody in that writer's group was like, you know what? I watched the news this morning. You know what's right? up? Let's do bath salts. <laughs> yeah, this is HR's big plan, bath salts. Where we're going to replace Coke with bath salts. Yeah. While Reese deals with Simmons, Shaw goes to save Genrika full Terminator style, like one-handed shotgun pumping. Uh, she kills lots of people and is like, it's scary good. Uh, afterwards, Genrika is enrolled in an elite boarding school courtesy of a mysterious benefactor uh, and gives Shaw the Order of Lenin medal her grandfather gave her. It's Zephyrus very hit sweet. the Soviet national anthem. Elsewhere, Carter knows that her shitty partner is HR, so she lets him lure her into an HR bar, then fucking guns down the bartender with his gun. So now he has no choice but to help her or he's fucked. The line where she looks down the barrel of his tacky-ass chrome-plated hand cannon and says, you work for me now, is so fucking baller. It's intense. Yeah. We also get a flashback to Baby Shaw asking for a sandwich. After her father is killed in a car accident and the various emergency workers commenting on the fact that she seems not right, uh, which suggests that she's always been a bit different. The episode ends with, Sh with Shaw waking up to find Root standing over her. Root asks, did you miss me? Very sensually. There is nothing not sexy about the way she says that line. Uh, and then tases her uh, and we get a nice little labeled analog interface box just to hammer home her new title. Wow. What an episode. <laughs> Fucking thrill ride. Um, I did not do service to the full like intersection of the Carter plot with the R Russian girl plot. 
because there is just a lot. Um, it's not really that important, to be honest with you. Uh, all you need to know is that HR is apparently their grand scheme is to get into running bath salts with the Russians. Which is their the, scheme is to get the Russians to stop selling their drugs and to start buying HR's drugs. To bath salts. <laughs> I, you you can't salts. summarize it without saying bath salts because that's the part that makes HR look like a bunch of fucking amateur clowns. Is that it's yeah, bath it salts? It is. These guys could not run a pizza and place. At, no. And they're at one point they're described as designer drugs. Uh, so one thing I do want to talk about on this one is that we get the like the running through line of this is Harold learning to trust Shaw's methods mm-hmm. and Shaw. Not Shaw learning how to connect with other people, but Shaw, we get to see that side of Shaw that like she does connect with people. It's just she's not great about. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not that she's incapable of it. We've seen that she connected with her former partner. It's just that she's particular about it and she she goes about it in a weird way and she's not comfortable with yeah. it. So she doesn't really make an effort a lot of the time, but she sort of connects with this number and it it helps her connect with Finch. Yeah. Uh, kind of along the way. And it's great for that. Aside from like the humorous stuff going on with the number, the way that they, the way that this episode humanizes Shaw's eight neuro, uh, what's the first? Neurodivergence. The um, neurodivergence. Neurodivergence in a really, I thought, thoughtful way by showing that it's, she's, not some, you know, like robotic sociopath or whatever. She's she connects with people differently and she just has to sort of find her own way and get be given the space to connect in the way that she's comfortable. And that once she does that with with once the girls she sort of loosens up a little bit with the girl and the the way that Finch helps her, she connects with Finch. I thought was really good. I really like that even though her atypicalness is obviously sort of fictional, but I think it actually works better that way because rather than ha- trying to have her portrayed as something specific, having it be sort of a vaguely defined thing yeah. makes it a little bit easier to try and makes it the depiction a little bit less problematic or less likely to be problematic. Yeah, because she has she has a bunch of traits that could be associated with a number of things, basically. I think this is one case where by not being specific, they've actually like ended up with a better... A, a better effort. Yeah. And I also like legit love the kid in this episode. Oh, yeah. She's great. Yeah. When Shaw goes in and like checks up on her in the apartment, the kid like instantly realizes that Shaw is not who she says she is. And yeah. Shouldn't you know all this already? Yeah. And the like, this is this, like, this is a just routine check. Routine my ass. <laughs> um. This did answer the question to me of uh, what happens if the number is not a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. Although there yeah. there would be still a question For about sure. how alert, alert them about uh, an undocumented immigrant or somebody on a like somebody who didn't Driver's have a s- somebody who didn't have an A number. I think there I think there's an episode with one of them. I, I yeah. can't remember. There there there's a couple episodes. There's like one or two episodes in the future that show non-SSN security, like SSN numbers. Yeah. I think if you have any form of identity, the machine can like try and get it off. Yeah, for sure. If you exist in a system, the machine can work with that. 
because uh, that's what it's working. Yeah, with. I'm more curious about how it's going to be commu- how it would be communicated to like Harold because the machine yeah. generally gives Harold a nine digit number. Yeah, and and I'm curious about how to do that for somebody who didn't have a nine digit number associated yeah. with them. I know in California at least. I don't know if this is true in the state or borough of New York, uh, but in California at least, you do not need to prove your legal status to get a driver's license. That would be one way if the machine were operating in California, it would just give the driver's license ID. The other thing that I super, super love about this episode is the entire scene with Carter and Lasky in the bar. Oh, yeah. That whole scene is so good. Lasky, they must have gone through like six spray bottles of whatever it is they use to make people look damp and sweaty while filming that because he is just flop sweating just sheened with flop sweat the entire time he could not look less cool and collected throughout that entire scene and it's just like he's trying i love that she just calls him on she's like you don't even know who the fuck you are yet you're trying to be cool you're trying Mm -hmm. to do this stuff and then she tells him like yeah we fed you bad intel i knew you were hr from the start and I fed you bad intel. You're fucked. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just love it. And like Carter's yeah. always a stone cold badass, but she's been like, she's, she's gotten some really good content this season so far. Yeah. This is a particularly like intense scene because like, I don't think we've ever seen Carter just like up and shoot a motherfucker in the middle of a bar. And she was so canny with that gun that she confiscates it from Lasky uh, because it's registered to him in New Jersey, but he hasn't done ballistics on it in New York. So she confiscates yeah. it from him and then shoots the dude with Lasky's gun and yeah. is like, okay, so like cross me and I'll frame you for murder. It's great. It's great. It's interesting though, because it feels like it's something that I'm, somehow only quite realizing now, but it almost feels like a parallel to how John recruited Fusco back in season one. I was just going to say that it does have a very, I think it's an intentional callback. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the like at gunpoint, you work for me now is practically straight out of the, you know, out of the first episode. And there's also like, and now there's a body you have to deal with. And that's, you know, that's how that's how I own you is a is a dead body. Yeah. yeah. It's and that gun is so fucking tacky too. I Yeah. Nickel plated nineteen elevens is the most douche is one of the most douchey things you could possibly buy. It's yeah. just so flashy and like not in any good way. This episode also delves into the thing that we were talking about um a couple of episodes ago with with Shaw and the kind of narrative shorthand of being comfortable with eating while in a like tense situation or around death and it really goes yeah. hard on that here with her being like I'm hungry I want a sandwich because like I I fully believe yeah. that she was hungry and wanted a sandwich but also there's that there's that narrative yeah. shorthand right there again yeah. yeah, and I, I, this I was ref- this is the scene I was referring to a couple of weeks ago when we talked when that first came up, and I was like, "Oh, just wait, you'll you'll see them take that to such an extreme that it's almost like they are self consciously yeah putting it out there that like it, it's like the most extreme possible version of that of that trope yeah 
mm-hmm. is her sitting there on the the rear deck of an ambulance while her dad's body is in a burning car eating a sandwich. It, yeah. It really extends the metaphor as the 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 trope as far as it'll go. Um but it works. Yeah. Like they they do it in a way that still manages to come across not as like awkward. One of my favorite Shaw moments for this episode is where she has Peter Yogorov like down in a chair and just starts asking him, have you been outside the country in the last six months? Yeah. Starts- <laughs> and like just gives him all the intake questions for donating blood. Yeah. Yeah. Before just strapping a thing in and like, yep, I'm taking your blood. Yeah. Because she went to med school. <laughs> yeah. There's an episode. I don't think we've seen it yet. The episode where we get, get a flashback to Shaw no. in no, med we, school. This is our first, Shaw is a doctor. This is our first flashback for Shaw, which is exciting. Uh, there is a, uh, there's some stuff with Shaw, like flashing back to Shaw in med school slash as a doctor. And it's really good. Like it, it really gives you more context. And I, I quite like it. I feel like she probably would make a very good surgeon though. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't remember what like her specialty is or anything in there. Well, in med school, she probably she wouldn't have her. a specialty. Or I, I don't remember a lot about that episode. I, so two things about uh, Harold in this episode that, that jumped out. The first is he's got like the fanciest tea set. Yes. To like, like for, for like this conversation that he wants to have with Shaw. But then immediately after he hangs up with her, starts feeding Bear from the table. <laughs> yeah, he gives Bear one of the cookies. <laughs> Which is just like, One episode. Liar, one liar. episode after he got all offended at Reese for, for giving him table scraps. And the look on the look on Bear's face, the look of just pure doggy hope. If you have ever had a dog that <laughs> that eats that begs at the table, you know that face. I, they cut away to Bear making that face, and I immediately looked for my dog. Like, where's where's Siri? She like she that is the face she makes when she's sitting next to me while I eat dinner. It was spot on. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, I'm doing the face. Um, so I just want to. I'm just pointing out something that's very funny to me personally. There are two fictional spies and things that I've watched recently who have received the Order of Lenin. What's the other one? Sweet. Uh, it was uh, James Bond gets it in a view to a kill, which is <laughs> which is like a sneaky like. Okay, like I just did like the full thing. It's a sneaky good movie, mostly because Christopher Walken and Grace Jones have the most. Yeah, we're down for a th- we're down for a threesome energy <laughs> of like any two villains in a Bond movie. Are we talking like? classy down for a threesome or like those two people in your friend group that nobody is actually close friends with but they just sort of show up at every group gathering and then when you're in the men's room the guy comes up to to the urinal right next to yours and starts asking you questions and then you realize he's propositioning you the former because it's grace jones in 1985 well that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And Christopher like, Walken is like Christopher. Okay, look, Christopher, if Christopher Walken, Walken doesn't have Christopher Walken at every point in his career has had. We'll take this. We'll take the urinal right next to you. Energy, and I don't care what you say. Can we? Can we rewind to the incredibly specific example of things that just I happened? I don't possible want to. that this is a thing that happened to me. <laughs> I don't know. It's like I'm sorry. Christopher- I I do know that this is 
maybe not those specifics, but every friend group knows that couple that like propositions every new person that comes into the friend group. No, 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 that's a you problem. Just my friend. No, you just have some weird friends. All right. Well, Okay. I think you need better friends. If I have if I have any listeners from my friends from my friend group back in California, you guys know who I'm talking about. So <laughs> my parents are those friends, so I will, you know. <laughs> uh, so I should not I should not cast get stones. us back on the rails here. <laughs> on that very weird note for this episode, uh I'm not sure how we got from Russian spies to awkward threesome friends. Uh, the answer is Grace Jones. Well, there you have it. Let's move uh, on to the next episode. Oh, no, no, no. I do have something funny that I want or, or like a cool callback. All right. Oh, uh, we forgot the best part of this episode. Holy shit. We have to talk about the best part of this episode still. What am I doing? Which is um, when Harold sends the number to Shaw for a doctor. It's the corner for season one. Yeah, that that's a great callback. Took, that they took uh, John to after he got shot by Snow's Beautiful. Buddy. Yeah, that that they've that they helped turn into a doctor again. And then the end of this episode, which is such a moment, uh, Shaw is sleeping peacefully on her bare mattress in her empty apartment <laughs> with the Order of Lenin dangling from her like shitty dumpster dive rescued lamp and her spider sense goes off and she just wakes up and looks up. And I want to imagine, I want to take a, take a mind journey with me. Imagine you are Shaw in this situation. You're on your, you're, you are on your very comfortable, I'm sure shitty mattress on, on a concrete floor. You wake up. What is it you see when you look up? I mean, you see the person who tortured you. No, you don't. You see her crotch because that is exactly how she's standing. Go back and watch. <laughs> Root has positioned herself so that her pelvis is immediately in front of Shaw's face before she tases her. This episode has gone Throwing some weird places. I'm, yeah. no, I'm just saying. I, by the way, I, I will talk. No, we'll save this for the next one, but. Shaw's apartment. Yeah, let's talk about that in the next one. We'll get there. Because we get more on... We'll get there in the yeah. next one. But, uh, yeah, the fact that she tases... She sneaks up on Shaw, which I didn't think was possible, uh, and then tases Well, I mean, Shaw, Shaw takes some L's in this episode because she gets made by a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And in her words, what kind of child practices counter-surveillance techniques? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tases... Shaw, the whole scene is is hilarious. I I love that scene. I just love their dynamic. So I'm excited to get into the part where they finally start interacting more meaningfully. Yeah, I also love that Shaw bugged the library, and Harold still hasn't found the bug. And and she has just a great line. I'm only in it for the dog. <laughs> yeah, I like my yeah. head cannon. There is she. Keep, he keeps finding uh, Reese's bugs. Reese has like. Eight, a hundred different bugs throughout the library. So like Finch in his spare time gets out the bug, like the bug sweeper, but he just keeps finding Reese's bugs. And I think this, I think, I think it's a funny thing because it's like, I imagine that all of John's bugs are easy to find because like, he just has like probably like three places he always goes to, but there is a generational training gap mm -hmm. yeah. between the two of them and how they're, and how they're doing it. Like 
John learned how to John learned how to plant bugs back in like the nineties. Yeah, back before Bluetooth was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you know just ended up with uh, with a uh, and then uh, like Sean Shaw, Shaw knows how modern technology works, and Harold is just like I. I've been so accustomed to looking at looking for like, you know, old school bugs that I don't know where, where, where are you? Where are these? I assume that one of them is just like in a random light fixture. I'm sure. So on to the next one. Yeah, let's do it. All right. I've got this one. Um, I hope everybody is prepared. I went slightly long in this summary, but it's not, it's not, it's, it's this not ex- is- too excessive, but given given the amount of stuff in this episode, uh, so this is this is a normal B five like summary. It's not, not a Jude B five. Yeah, so this is yeah. Morse Prematura, written by Dan Dietz and directed by Helen Shaver. Uh, so give us the Dietz. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we start we start <laughs> out uh, once again with that scene that Jude so so lovingly described for us, like. You know, two minutes ago. Am I wrong? Um, Am I wrong? <laughs> so Shaw is captured by Root. Um, Harold sends John to her apartment to check in on her. Well, he starts in on their new number, an estate investigator named Timothy Sloan. Harold joins him on his tra- on the trail of his brother, Jason Greenfield, who died recently. Things don't quite add up with his death, particularly since he was an expert hacker whose apartment apparently doesn't have any form of computer or tablet or phone. That doesn't seem normal. Uh, they find a couple of clues that they follow to a storage unit with walls covered in code written in UV reactive ink. They're spotted by a camera. Um, and are rescued by John and Bear just in the nick of time as the uh, storage unit is uh, has gasoline activated in the sprinkler system and is set on fire. Harold gets to work on the code and recognizes it as similar to that used by Collier, the dude who exposed and then killed the data broker a couple of episodes ago. They realized that Greenfield was a member of the same group, wadded out, and was killed as a result. John and Sloan head back to Greenfield's apartment to find the key needed to break the code, which turns out to be a history of the American Revolution. As Finch works on the decryption, John and Sloan are ambushed by Collier, who abducts Sloan. Finch then reveals that Greenfield is, in fact, alive and also being held by the CIA. And record scratch, rewind, right, there's another plot going on. Uh, So let's get back to what Root and Shaw are up to. Shaw is uh, displeased to have been abducted by Root, but agrees to work with her since, uh, in part, she's never known the machine to be wrong. They use a handmade thermal lance to cut through a grill and drop in on a CIA pickup site where Shaw poses as the agent and Root poses as the pickup. Inside the mobile black site that they then go to, Root makes contact with Greenfield and removes a piece of wire from the fence to be able to use to cut her zip ties later. Shaw loads up the transport van with Root, Greenfield, and all of the other anonymous black-bagged folks who are guests of the CIA. They're ambushed by Collier, who crashes the transport van and traps an unconscious Shaw inside. Root is awake in the back, however, and gets out and retrieves both an earpiece and a gun. She rescues Jason and gives him a new identity, sends him to Columbia to begin his new life. Shaw catches up with her after, however, and knocks her unconscious. John saves Sloane from Collier as well, but Collier escapes as John tends to a 
uh, very wounded Sloane. In the aftermath, Sloane gets a phone call from his brother confirming that he's alive in Colombia. And we find that Harold has Root imprisoned in, question marks, another library, where they argue about which one of them is following the machine's plan. Carter also has a plot in this one. Uh, Lasky receives money from a Russian deli owner, uh, but HR claims the deli owner has been skimming, and Simmons kills him. Uh, Lasky didn't catch the skimming himself, so his lesson is to bury the deli owner's corpse. He returns very shaky and reveals to Carter that he's in fact a Russian plant in the NYPD and that he's not alone and that HR is stockpiling money for something big. And that's the episode. There's a lot of episode. Um, I do I do have like one little slight correction. Go for it. Uh, Root is in the library. It's not another library. Okay. It's just a different part of the building. Okay. Yeah. In a Faraday cage that, <laughs> yes. that Finch has made inside the library, which I think is absolutely, I, I find nothing absurd about the idea that Finch, not even specifically for this, but that Finch, in advance, had the forethought to prepare a portion of the library as a Faraday cage. That seems entirely reasonable to me. Supposing you had to take down a, a an all-seeing AI. <laughs> I mean, considering he made one, like I said, it seems entirely reasonable. Also, I've been yeah. in some old libraries, and some of them are practically Faraday cages by nature. Just being what they are yeah so it doesn't seem like it would be all that hard so let's talk about because i've been putting this off for like an hour now um samin shaw's r slash male living spaces apartment <laughs> <laughs> like i said uh concrete floors bare mattress uh one lamp and as is revealed in this episode a fridge full of guns and a jug of milk yeah the, g- <laughs> the jug of milk does it the kid, like the kitchen gun, is not like the born identity, or sorry, it's the born supremacy, where it's like a guy's got like a nine millimeter in his fridge in like the fruit drawer. No, Shaw has a G thirty six in her freaking in her freaking fridge, and and a half gallon uh, for, of milk. For those of us, <laughs> for for our listeners who are not gun nerds, uh, will you please? expand on why a g36 is a weird thing to have in a fridge because it's a german assault rifle (laughs) (laughs) thank you i'm just saying some people may listen to this and not have like recently watched the the episode and may not remember i mean i I trust i trust that the i trust that enough of our listenership are like degenerates who played modern warfare at least at some point in their lives (laughs) it's a sci-fi gun it was in stargate at least I'm pretty good. It, it, it shows up like it. It's a gun that no, it's in Star Wars. It's a gun that's used in Star Wars. <laughs> okay, now I have to Google this thing because I don't remember it looking that ridiculous. I mean, it's like like Finn uses it in the. Oh Awakens. yeah, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah, it does look pretty fancy, pantsy. Yeah, like they 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 chop off the they chop off the stock and like spray paint some stuff on it. But yeah, it's. Like it's it is a Star Wars gun. Wild. Yeah. That looks like something she would have in the fridge. Yeah. The folding stock. Anyway. Yeah. Um What an episode. But for but yeah. It's yeah. girls trip time, baby. I love that the machine is playing this plot from two, yes, from two directions. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna say, like, you know, 
I I watched this for the first time just like, like two nights ago, and boy howdy, this this is an episode. I I reached the end of it and was like literally looked at looked at the like list of episodes and was like, did we accidentally watch two? Because I wasn't supposed to watch two. Yeah. Um. And like then I checked the the time on it. I was like, no, that's there's no way. There's only forty three minutes in that episode. It crams in so much stuff. Um, and yet doesn't feel like overly busy somehow. For me, thus far, this is up there with relevance in like top tier um episodes for the series so far. Um the the thing of yeah, having the machine the machine tackle the problem from two angles was incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not even that it's tackled from two angles, but that it's clearly playing a bigger game here. Yeah, yeah. Because not only does it want to, it's got the machine team working on the on on the brother whose name just literally ran right out of my head. The the investigator Sloan, uh, Sloan, Sloan, and then it's got Root working on the hacker. But they're not just trying to save the hacker. Yeah, they've got hit like, you know. Yeah, they could have like. There's more. There's clearly more going on there. It's just very interesting. Yeah, because there's something that's very interesting that's said in this, which is as Root and Shaw are are talking to each other, Root says something about, you know, that there might be relevant and irrelevant numbers, but now there's something new, and that's what she's for. And then she refers to the hacker as uh, necessary, I believe, um, which is, ooh, that's, that's real intriguing. Yeah. Uh, seeing now that the machine is free, it's got itself an agent. Yep. And it's got it. It's got its own business that it's that it's up to, and that appears to include these necessary numbers, which is very interesting. And and it's so interesting to me to see how the machine is acting differently through the through its various assets. Right. That root really is in very much her own category because the information she's re- she, she's receiving live information from the machine at basically all times um anytime she has that earbud yeah. in that the machine isn't just like giving her a number then trusting that she'll like handle it um it's like you know, they're engaged in active dialogue which is fascinating yeah and it means yeah. and it means that there's a lot of stuff that root can do that you know the you know, Harold and John and Shaw would struggle with uh, potentially like getting into a CIA mobile black site. Yeah. She just yeah. strolls in. It's wild. The fact that her, tr- like she's getting all this information and the trust she has is rewarded. So completely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I, I find it very fun that Shaw also just decide, just like over the course of the episode learns to go. With yeah. It. Like to the point where she's like, oh, that mysterious warning I got 24 hours ago suddenly makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Also, more American Revolution stuff. Yes, we get a name now for um, our group, Vigilance. The, the group that's I'm trying not, to be open-minded about Vigilance. The, the group that's I know that, definitely not anonymous with like more weapons and the serial numbers filed off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be more open-minded about them because I know Justin 
has more patience, uh, enjoys this this subplot yeah. more than and, I do. And you can't have this plot, like, you can't have this plot without some form of anonymous, right? Like... Yeah. The group of vigilance is a natural reaction to what the machine represents. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... And I totally get that. I, I don't know why vigilance rubs me the wrong way. Possibly it's foreknowledge of where that plot goes, but we'll see. Well, that's ominous. Eh. I, I, I have like, I think, I think where vigilance ends up, like ends up getting, it's a very, there's a verisimilitude to their plot that mm-hmm. I like. That's valid. But, uh, <laughs> Oh, when they're in the sewers and two of the vigilance goons have, uh, root corner. Oh yeah. And after she's seen, uh, God, what's his, uh, Greenfield off? They're like, "What are you smiling at?" And she's like, "I'm not smiling at you." <laughs> <laughs> and then Sean just wastes them. And I'm like, "This is so romantic." <laughs> <laughs> there are so many like erotically charged glances between the two of them. They're like they are like knowing looks. The couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also really do love Sloan yeah he's one of my like favorite he's one of my favorite numbers as just like a standalone number yeah he's real Uh, justin catnip as a character he he really is (laughs) he likes old detective novels he has a weird job that involves lateral thinking and like snooping around places it's a like he's really a character i would make i like I'm hoping movie. that they bring him back as a repeat. If, if he was hunting vampires, he'd be a character in one of your, like, Knight's Black Agent games. <laughs> I, I do hope he comes back. I also liked him a lot. And and the... Yeah, I appreciate that he, he also just kind of rolls with what's going on. Like, and it's... It seems like the kind of other, other end of the spectrum of the, like, normie reaction of, like, okay, well, th- I'm winning way over my head and... You know, I'm going to trust that uh, these guys know what's going on and help them out however I can. I love that we're we're getting to that part of the show where the team is increasingly just like trying to be undercover is a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're really busy <laughs> and no one's going to believe these guys anyway. So. Like I think back to that judge episode where they're like, we can't yeah, they're be seen. so hard to maintain <laughs> and, anonymity. Yeah, and now, and now they're like, just like, so we're gonna help you do this because we even we even have a yeah. set for it now. We have we have the the number sequestering set, the safe yeah. house, because yeah. it's the same safe house that <laughs> they go back to again and again and again. That's not how safe houses work because it's it's got that like. I mean, if you black bag them beforehand, sure. I mean, maybe. By the uh, so Sloane is played by Kirk Acevedo, um, who uh, we know um, that face. Well, yeah, we know that face. He was in Band of Brothers. He was also in Friends. That's where I know him from. Which is what I know him primarily. Yeah. From. Um, he has like he has like great TV TV character actor energy. Yeah, that, that's yeah. really what it is. It's like he's got a very specific vibe to him. Yeah. Well, he's got that look. He's kind of, kind of got that like gravelly voice that 
Like he's got a bunch of stuff like, oh, he's in a white collar episode. Oh, yeah. Like it's like all of these what off things. No matter what kind of TV you watch, you've probably seen him in something. Yeah. The music in this episode, of course, also slaps as the as. uh, Uh, Yeah. Um, as re- yeah, like as person of interest episodes yeah, tend to because yeah. there's there's music going on as root like wakes up like kicks open the doors of the van and like goes off to be a badass mm-hmm. uh, it's great oh man i am thinking about a future episode so what what are your thoughts on the on the hacking aspects of this jude um <laughs> this is one of the episodes where uh, I believe in my notes, I say, uh, every time I watch this episode, I just plug my ears and sing la, 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 when they talk about hacker stuff. <laughs> what? You mean the dark web isn't like just an IRC chat forum? No. The dark web. That's, that's, that's not how it works. But, that, but that's how I bought my cocaine. <laughs> You're saying you're saying that the, 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 the dark mode IRC chat might have been watched by the government? <laughs> like i said i just plug my ears and i just say la 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 over and over again i don't know what you're talking about i i mean what you mean that you mean that i don't store my emails on a thumb drive oh yeah this this is the this okay. is the episode in fairness until gmail came around that was a thing that people did until 2005 or so this episode yeah. did not air in 2005 my friend no but yeah, i'm saying until 2005 or so, all my email, I read all my email in MUT, and I had an extra, I had, it, it, all my email was stored in a spool file on my hard drive. Yeah. And it was this all- is so bizarre to me as somebody who used, who like had a Yahoo account in 2000. Yeah, I, I remember those days no, though. I mean, yeah. it was all POP3, yeah. so like, or IMAP slightly later. And that you had, you had limited server all... storage too. So you like, you would keep the stuff yeah. on there that like you really couldn't afford to lose and anything else. Yeah. The whole idea of like eternal server storage was introduced with Gmail. Yeah. Like it really wasn't the default thing. And so like the idea of storing your, and if you were a, if you are a security focused person, a lot of people I know still do that. They use, they self-host their email and they store it all locally. They don't keep it on the server. It's also encrypted and so on and so forth. And but <laughs> the one thing I will give the one thing I will give Finch credit for is he he invented fucking AI. Yes. I will I will give him a free pass on standard store-bought open source encryption. There's no way that if you have invented a fucking sentient AI that you can't fuck around and find out what people are writing emails about with whatever off the shelf encryption people are using. Like I'll give him, I'll give him a pass on that one. This, this episode did prompt uh, my husband to yell at the television. That's not how flash drives work though. That the like scrap of data on it. No. Yeah. Technol- technology has made has made our plots harder to do. That's all. I'll yeah, say. I disagree. It just means that you have to write different plots, and that's the problem. Is that this the you have to write a technology plot that works differently, and a lot of these writers just can't be fucked to write a technology plot differently. I mean, to be fair, we've been having like this is a thing. This is a thing that is not new to computers. Yeah, and 
And I mean, the only writer who gets a bu- who gets a buy for this is Tom Clancy because he just weirdly knew shit. <laughs> Listen, there there's there are certain people who have who who overly research their their novels and provide hyper specific technical details. And sometimes that is a treatable condition. <laughs> Didn't he write a series of novels about like cyber warfare at one point though. I, so there's a whole thing with Tom Clancy is there are a bunch of novels that are like written under his name, but ghost written, but under other people. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Right. Like there's, I didn't know that. and there's the whole, there's all the video games, which are not actually things that he has. Are you saying that he yeah, didn't write just, every line of dialogue in those video games? I would be surprised that if, <laughs> That if Tom Clancy, uh, before he died, could tell you the plot of Splitter Cell. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, like saying that, yeah, this this isn't a new thing. Like I'm just imagining Net a force. you know writer, you know, back you know, years and years and years and years ago, being like, goddamn fucking Telegraph, making my life <laughs> too hard. I have to, I have to incorporate this into my plots now. Uh, the book I'm thinking of is Tom Clancy's Net Force. It was a novel series created by Tom Clancy and Steve, I can't pronounce that name. Pichesnik. Huh? Pichesnik. Pichesnik? All right. Uh, That's that's what I'm going with. Um, Sure. (laughs) But it's it's like basically... Originally written by Steve Perry. So it was created by Tom Clancy and another dude wrote him. Yeah. But it, that's that tracks with your like ghost writing thing. But it's basically like uh, hackers meets uh, the Navy. There was they're silly. a spinoff of young adult books called Net Force Explorers. <laughs> are those like it's a whole are, thing? Are those like uh, Netscape navigators? I mean, the, that they're either Netscape navigators or, navigators or they're Internet Explorers. Listen to, okay, this is I, this is not going to make the final cut, but listen to the description of this first novel. No, we Ru- need to like, leave this in because it's stupid. Russian hacker Vladimir Pl- Plekhanov <laughs> is wreaking havoc using computers to gain money from security contracts. With the money, he plans to buy governments so he will be rich and powerful. <laughs> Netforce eventually track him down and capture him in a daring mission in Chechnya. As director Steve Day was assassinated, Alex Michaels is promoted to commander of Netforce. I know we've never said that we're going, I know know that we sort of like said that like, not like books aren't our vibe for the show, but I'm willing to make an exception. I was going to (laughs) say, like, we, this might be, we might have to do like a uh, discography bad pod crossover. Aaron will kill us. <laughs> if the For this one thing trash we- series. Oh, and they just get. Oh man, uh, these are so bad. Morrison, uh, this is breaking point. Morrison, another great scientist, uses extremely low frequencies ELF to turn large groups of people mad so they start attacking each other. The Chinese are prepared to pay $400 million for his information, and Morrison is prepared to deal. He hires Ventura, an assassin-turned-bodyguard, to protect him. I want to imagine that this is actually Jesse the Body Ventura, <laughs> but this point was an ex-governor. I have to I have to close the tab, because otherwise we will never finish recording this episode. Um, <laughs> so... 
I will say that something I'm hoping for in the next like few episodes is I, I'd like to get a little bit more Fosco because we haven't seen that much of him this season so far. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, and like I get narratively why that like you know in terms of the like his subplot space is being rightfully taken by Carter's subplot, which is a lot better than Fosco's subplot. Yeah. Um, but I I do enjoy Fosco, and you know I'd like to have. I hope he gets a little bit more screen time sometime soon. Yeah, it's I think it's the fact of like he's sort of he sort of gets with the introduction of Shaw Shaw, it's like it is really cementing his status as a secondary character. Yeah. Um and having having him no longer be Carter's partner as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like we don't have Fosco in like half the scenes that we have Carter in just because they're together most of the time yeah. um instead we get instead we get yeah. lackey i mean lasky there is there's a shakeup of like people statuses and we are going to see that resolve in the next few episodes interesting how you feel about that resolution well that's up to you all right well i guess we're going to be tackling that next time we record then yeah um do we have anything else we want to talk about with these I don't think so. All right. So next time we're going to be covering two episodes. Uh, Those are episodes seven and eight. The perfect mark and end game. Well, that's an ominous episode title. If ever I heard one. Hey, hey, Mm -hmm. we we have a chess reference. Oh, boy. And Uh, and this is episode eight. And that's right. You haven't watched these next ones. Yeah. This is episode eight of the season. It's called end game. Woof. We are now, I'm now caught up or we are, we are at the same point. So, and so it shall Uh, continue. All right. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Well, it's been fun until next time you are being watched. The Babylon project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license. I was like, oh, is Endgame? Yes, Endgame is the one. 